So we're continuing in the wise sayings of Imam Junaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu and uh, we've neared the completion of the text we should finish relatively easily today I think inshallah in the time that we have and um, then we'll do something else obviously I don't know what it is yet um, and next week next week will probably just be kind of like I don't know something general because after next week then on the 18th we have just kind of like an end of the year gathering you know we'll have dinner and we talk about what we did this year share some of the numbers with you all and stuff like that and then have dinner like we did last year and then uh, uh, and then we'll be on break until January so it doesn't really make sense to start something new next week so we'll just do something next week I don't know what and then after that we'll figure out what to do inshallah uh, before we begin I would like to take a moment to request that everyone make dua for Sheikh Fuad and his family and for his grand his I think great aunt his grandmother's sister I don't know what that's called in English his grandmother's sister who passed away yesterday in Egypt Allah have mercy on her and Allah elevate her and accept from her and make it easy for him and the family and, and make her questioning easy for her inshallah ameen uh, subhanallah she was from what I know uh, a source of inspiration for Sheikh Fuad and kind of like the life that he has chosen to live and her being like an older righteous person who was very beloved to many people and always gave sincere counsel and made good dua for people and stuff like that. And subhanAllah, it happened that she passed away yesterday and they're all there right now. You know, My wife is there and Sheikh Fuad is there and Shireen is there. So they were able to attend the janazah today and the burial today. And uh, alhamdulillah, it's a blessing. But please make dua for them. <coughs> Actually, perhaps I should read what he wrote about her. He wrote it on Facebook five years ago. Um, let me just find it. He sent it to me. I'll give you extra inspiration to make the offer. The question is, where did he send it? So all these platforms. Um, here we go. quite beautiful but he wrote he wrote this on uh, March 17 2017 so he said the more I study the more I sit and reflect on a saying of my beautiful Ga'a pray your prayers fast your fast pay your zakat and if you can make your hajj and if you can make your hajj and do not complicate things there's a famous story of the old woman who called out the great scholar and Imam Fakhreddin al-Razi who was renowned for the substantial theological proofs he had for God Upon hearing this, she proclaimed, If he had that many proofs, it means he had just as many doubts. It is related that upon hearing this, Imam al-Razi smiled and made dua for God to bless him with the iman of the old woman. To me, this story is so reflective of Sheikh Raga Aymara Ga'a to our family, who is not only someone I feel blessed to have been, uh, to have had as a teacher, but also someone who has shown me an embodiment of the faith through her dua, her counsel, her character, and her breathtaking presence all of which have given this faqir a path that I feel completely undeserving of. This woman is the epitome of what I believe a sheikha is and what a sincere, simple life towards the Creator looks like. The two main qualities I can think of to describe her are number one, anyone who knows her or has been blessed to sit with her, even for a minute, young and old, has left the gathering with a calm heart, ultimately feeling closer to God. And number two, her character, especially with those who are closest to her. I pray that God keeps her healthy and in close proximity to us to continue teaching us what the embodiment of true knowledge looks like. She's the one who passed away yesterday. Rahmatullah alayha. Allah have mercy on her and make things easy for the family, inshallah. Amen. Okay. Qalun Musannifu rahimahullah ta'ala wa nafan Allahu iyahu wa yalumi fi darin. Amin. The author says the following. Allah have mercy on him. Abu Qasim. He said the first one we'll have today is Ahsanun ibadi halan 
من وقف مع الله على حفظ الحدود والوفاء بالعهود So he says that the best of the servants in their hal is the one who stops or stands with Allah like basically they they limit themselves with the limits of Allah and they fulfill the agreements and the covenants that they have okay so this is what is it first of all who are the people in the best hal with Allah and of course this is something that's important that we always think about right that we want to find ourselves in a good hal with Allah we don't want just to find ourselves following rules or fulfilling obligations or or carrying out responsibilities or whatever else that it is we want to find that we have something intimate and something beautiful and something wonderful between us and Allah and that is the reality of the hal the condition that is the spiritual state of the person so we want to find this hal so who is the person who has this best hal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the ones who number one they limit themselves with what Allah has limited. So if Allah puts a certain regulation on something, they stop at that regulation. If Allah puts a certain limit on something, they stop at that limit. Even if sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes it's hard to do the things that we're supposed to do. Sometimes it's hard to stop doing the things that we're not supposed to do. Sometimes it's uh, difficult on our souls, uh, on, our, on ourselves, our base selves. But still we have to make that effort, you know? And that's one of the descriptions of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu that kana waqafin and hadulillah that he would not only would he stop, it's like a, the, the word choice means like he would really stop. When it comes to the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would just stop. And so this is something that we 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 constantly try to cultivate within ourselves, right? So there's an element of it, of course, that is spiritual in the sense that it relates to our relationship with Allah. How, how conscious we are of our presence in front of Allah and that Allah sees us and all of these other things. And a portion of it is self-discipline. You know, and we should remember that, that these, these two, sometimes they're related to each other. They're connected to each other. This is something that I've, I've said that I've seen now with, um, sometimes with kids now, is that I'll notice that they, um, they want to stop and they can't, right? So, you know, you teach in a classroom or something, you might tell the kids, like, okay, like, that's enough, just calm down now. Or I've had classes where kids will come in, they've agreed amongst themselves, today we're not going to cause Sheikh any problems. Today we're going to be quiet, today's going to be the day, you know, like, they've, you can tell when they come in, they've agreed. Because they start whispering to each other, like, and they can't do it, you know. So it's not a matter of, like, the, 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 will, the will is there, but the self-control is not there. So the self-discipline is not there. But we want to marry between the self-discipline and the reality in, in the heart. Because sometimes it goes both ways. Sometimes someone has something very beautiful and very strong in their heart, but they don't have the discipline to stop. And sometimes they have the discipline to stop, but they don't have anything beautiful in their heart. This is also in our, in our community, we have a problem with this actually. Because we consider the person who has the discipline, but not the heart to be religious. And we consider the person who has the heart but not the discipline to not be religious. And it's not actually entirely true. You know, ideally a person is able to combine between the two. But just because someone's self-disciplined doesn't mean they have anything in their heart. And I've said this about myself before. You know, like I, I grew up in a household that was very disciplined. You know, the way that we lived our life was very disciplined. Up to today, the way that my parents lived their life is very disciplined. It's very organized. There's very particular ways everything happens, happens on a system, you know. And I grew up playing sports and I grew up getting yelled at by coaches and stuff enough that, I, you know, we knew how to do what needs to be done when it's time for it to get done. So when I became a Muslim, I was able to do the things that I was supposed to do. But it doesn't mean that there was anything in my heart. It doesn't mean that I was religious. Like I was religious in the sense that I stopped with the limits that Allah had put. But it doesn't mean that there's anything there. The heart can still be dead or the heart can still need some level of life to it. You know, and this was definitely the case for, uh, it continues to be the case, but it was very severely the case for a very long time. Um, and on the other hand, you have people who, maybe they don't have the self-discipline, but they have a lot of heart. Maybe they're not able to do the thing that, you know, that maybe right now they're not able to do that thing. They haven't built up that strength yet. But eventually through the worship and through the love and through the community and through the support and everything else, they will build up that strength.
And when they build up that strength, their heart is different. You know? And uh, that's a really beautiful thing. Of course, in this regard, we think about the story in the time of the Prophet them of the man who used to get caught every now and then drinking alcohol. Right? And there was a particular punishment from the Prophet them for drinking alcohol. Right? And they punished him once, they punished him again, they punished him again. And one time when they, he was getting punished for this, some of the companions started to like, say negative things about him. You know, this guy, he just can't do this and that and so on and so forth. And the Prophet stopped them. And he said, don't say anything about him because he loves Allah and his messenger. Right? So this is someone, the heart was there. Maybe on this issue of, you know, he was having an issue with this or that, but the heart was there, right? So when we, we say that someone is stands, and we say, talk about Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, that he stood, when there's a limit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he'll stop immediately. He doesn't have to be told. You know, stop, stop. Be careful. He's going to stop. Because there's a connection between the heart and the discipline. He has both. So he says the best of the ibad in their hal is the one who stands, limits themselves to the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wal wafai bin ud, and they fulfill the covenant that they have made. Um, this also is something that takes, you know, many of these things actually that we have, they take some level of strength. It takes some level of working up to. And that's why it's always important to start small and try to be consistent in those small things that we do. And as we're consistent in those small things that we do, that's how we build up strength. And this is true in physical exercise too, right? That if, if someone wants to get stronger, they don't just go in the gym and say like, they never lifted before and they're like, you know what, I'm going to bench 300 pounds today. <laughs> You're not going to bench 300 pounds today. Like, never you're going to bench 300 pounds if that's your goal. It's not going to happen, right? But if you go and you say, okay, this is where I'm at, and I'm just going to do this three times a week for the next 10 years. Don't worry about anything else. I'm going to do this three times a week for the next 10 years. Then in a few years, they're going to be lifting a lot, right? And everyone's going to have a limit that they reach, maybe by their physique or whatever else it is, but they'll reach something. And this is true for matters of, of character as well. That we have to start and we have to try to be consistent. We have to be patient with ourselves. Because along the way we might make mistakes. And along the way we might have times when we fall. But we have to keep going and we keep going and we keep going. And then we get stronger and stronger. So he says that the, the second one is that they fulfill the covenant that they give. Why am I saying this? Because we want to be people who when we say something. People know that we mean it. And people know that we're going to follow through on it. And, you know, it's really challenging because oftentimes we don't want to disappoint people, right? Someone asks you for something, someone needs something from you, you don't want to disappoint them. So you kind of give them, a, you give them like a wishy-washy thing or you, maybe you agree to it even though you know you're not really going to fulfill it and so on and so forth. So the, and this is so common amongst the Muslims that inshallah became a joke almost sometimes, right? When someone says inshallah, what is the situation? I remember one time we were in a class and the Shaykh was telling one of the students, he was like, I want you to do this research and you bring it next class. And the student was like, inshallah, the student himself was a Shaykh. He's like, inshallah, I'm going to do it. He's like, inshallah, ta'aliqan aw tahqiqan. Is your inshallah ta'aliq or is it tahqiq? Ta'aliq means like, you're just kind of like saying it. Tahqiq means like you're going to do it, you know? Like which one is it? He wouldn't let him leave until he told him. I don't remember what his answer was, but he wouldn't let him go until he told him which one it was. Right? So we don't want to be like that. We want to be people that like, okay, if I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And of course this is difficult. And if, if we take on, we really, it really requires a knowledge of self. It really requires a knowledge of one's responsibilities to be able to say like, you know what, I really, I think this thing's important that you're asking me, or I think that this, I would love to help you with this thing, but I'm just not able to, you know? And sometimes we have to be able to say that. Um, and may Allah forgive us, you know? I'm sure with probably like 90% 90, 90 of you are probably thinking in your head right now, oh, I remember that time when I asked him this thing and then he didn't follow through on it. And you know, like, he didn't do this and that and looking at me sitting there on this nice seat and he's talking about these things. And, I do this a lot, may Allah forgive us. That's why I'm not from Ahsan and Ibad Hala. You know, he says the ones in the best hal are the ones who they limit themselves to the rights of Allah and they fulfill their covenant. So some of us we don't do that and we bear the consequences. Allah forgive us. Next one Abdul Qasim he said Fidunya Tugyanan. Fidunya Tugyanan. Tugyanun ilm. 
فالمنجي من تغيان العلم العمل والمنجي من تغيان المال الزهد He says that in this life there are two It's a hard word to translate but maybe we can say like overwhelming powers You know, usually it's it's used oftentimes in the context of oppression You know كَلَّا إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَيَطْغَى That they have this, they oppress themselves They think that they're bigger than they are It's like an overcoming, kind of like an oppression So it says in this, he says in this life There's two of these things that do this One of them is in knowledge And the other one is in money One of them is in knowledge And the other one is in money So there's a, there's a raw power to them In a sense, right? There are things that can be used for good. There's things. There are things that could be used for bad. There's things that they can. There are things that actually can distract you from what you're supposed to do, from the responsibilities that you have, so on and so forth. So he says the what is so. So these are the two: knowledge and, and money, or wealth. Maybe wealth is a better translation. Knowledge and wealth, because wealth sometimes is not money, right? And I don't just mean like. Uh, like you know, yeah, you have the wealth of physical health and stuff like that. I mean, like actually, some of those people are wealthy, but they don't have money. You know, like I know people who are very wealthy, but their money is caught up in land that they can't really get rid of and they can't really do anything with it. So they have a lot of wealth actually, but there's not they, they can't. It doesn't materialize in the sense, right? So um, there's these two. So he says the one that is what saves you from the oppression of knowledge. Is action. The thing that saves you from the oppression of knowledge is action. And action here doesn't mean like activism or something like that. It could, but it's not so limited in scope. You know, it's an amal. Al amal. You know, an amal means basically you learn something, you do something about it. So it can be as simple as, for example, I learn that I shouldn't think negatively about other people. And I find myself thinking negatively about someone. And I stop myself from doing that, and I say, "Audhu bilay mishtanarjim." Don't think like that about them. Okay, this is amal. That's amal. Right? Amal can also be: I know that I shouldn't oppress people, and I see that someone's getting oppressed, and I stop the oppression. Okay, that's amal too. So activism can be amal. It can be action, but it's much broader than that, right? Uh, amal can be that I, you know, uh, hear a narration that encourages being good to my parents, so I'm good. I call my parents, and I ask them how they're doing. Or that I know that it's good to be merciful to children, so I smile at a child and like pat them on the head or something. This is, all of this is amal. Any action that comes from a teaching from the religion is amal. Okay. So the, what is it that saves the person from the oppression of knowledge? Is that they do something about it. Because why? Other, otherwise, that knowledge is going to come and say like this: they knew this and they knew this and they knew this and they didn't do anything about it. The day of judgment is very scary, right? The, and then he says, وَالْمُنْجِي مِنَ الْمَالِ الزُّهْدِ And what saves a person from the oppression of wealth is to not be attached to it. What saves a person from the oppression of wealth is to not be attached to it. Which means that I know exactly what it's for. Right? And I think we talked about this at some length. Where did we get into this? Uh, when we were covering the class on hospitality, and we had the introduction to the chapter on hospitality from Imam Ghazali, and the way that he gave the introduction to the chapter on hospitality, really like put things where they're supposed to be in terms of how we understand the idea. And why I'm saying that because how do how does one limit themselves from wealth? They understand what it's for. What is the purpose of wealth in the first place? Purpose of wealth in the first place is to have some level of to fulfill my basic needs, so that I can worship Allah. That's the point of it. <laughs> so I have I have a home, and I have some food, and I have some clothing to cover my aura, and I have some food to eat, and I have my basic needs that I need to get around and do whatever I need to do. In order to live, and that's the wealth that I need, and that's why I need it. I need it so that I can worship Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I don't need it so that I can have like the most fashionable thing or 
the most beautiful. And of course, you can have those things. One can have, you know, if, if it's within a person's means, they can have nice things. It's not the point. The point is, what is the purpose of it? Purpose of it? So that I can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how do I free myself from being oppressed by the wealth? A person can have tremendous wealth and not be oppressed by it. They can free themselves from being oppressed by the wealth by not being connected to it in the first place. Accustom oneself to some level of simplicity. It's like uh, Sayyidina Abdul Qadir Jilani radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said one time that he wishes that he had all the wealth in the world so that he could give it to everyone who needs it. <laughs> so it, just, it would just pass through. <laughs> you know? Okay, all of that wealth and millions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Yes, bring it to me. Why? Because if you bring it to me, it's just going to pass through. It's going to pass through to everyone who needs it and it's going to go where it needs to go, right? So this is the, this will be an example of someone who has liberated themselves from the oppression of wealth, right? They liberated themselves from the oppression of wealth. <coughs> Through this lack of attachment. May Allah help us to get this right. It's a very difficult, you know, uh, when everything is trying to sell you something all the time. The next one he said, Abu Qasim rahimahullah ta'ala. This is a tough one, a little bit. A sadiqu, it's, it's counterintuitive a little bit. Okay, so uh, it's one of those ones where you have to sit with it a little bit and then it will it will open itself up, inshallah. He says, A sadiqu yataqallabu fin yawmi arba'ina marra. This is a little bit tricky. So, this one says that the Sadiq, the truthful person, one who has true, true relationship with Allah, they yataqallab, yataqallab, right, is from qalb, right, the qalb, the heart, is called the heart because it turns, right, and to, to turn something is yataqallab is to turn, so as the sadiq turns in the day 40 times, turns in the day 40 times, and the show-off, the person who's doing things for other people, or they're not doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they stay in the same condition for 40 years, okay, I'm going to say it again. The person who's true with Allah, they change in one day 40 times. And the person who's fake stays the same for 40 years. It's a very interesting statement actually. Because sometimes people think like, oh, I'm good with Allah. That means I'm always the same. You know, I got my principle. I stay on my principle. I'm steady. I'm good with Allah. Maybe it's possible. But it's also possible that you're not. So part of what he's saying is that the person who's honest with Allah, their heart is actually afflicted by a lot of things in a day. Shaitan comes and tries to whisper to them a little bit, and then they experience different things, and when they experience different things, they're affected by it. It's, not, it's like when they say about the Prophet them that you could see if he liked something, it showed on his face. And if he disliked something, it showed on his face. But the person whose heart is receptive, their heart is actually experiencing all kinds of things. You know, and shaitan will come and try to knock them off the course and so on and so forth. And the person who's corrupt, shaitan's not going to come. Shaitan's like, you're good. You know, leave, you're, stay the way you are. And the nafs is getting everything that it wants. And so they're just steady. Steady for 40 years, they'll be the same. But the person who's sincere with Allah, 40 times they might change in a day. By the way, this doesn't mean that you have to see that from them. Okay? Just to be... Uh, uh, this doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to see it, but the you know, <clears throat> like the spiritual life is very much like an iceberg, right? Like there's a certain amount that shows, and there's a huge portion that doesn't show. So the person they might look the same to you, but internally they're going through a lot. They feel this moment of like sadness. They feel this moment of joy. They feel this moment of frustration. They feel this moment of gratitude. They feel this moment of whatever else it might be, right? And they they deal with it accordingly, whatever it is. If it's a good thing, they're grateful for it. If it's a thing that they need to be wary of, they're wary of it in a way that's according to that situation. But they deal with it as it comes. Uh, remember one of one of my teachers, I, 
I think usually I show too much what, I, what I'm going through, but sometimes it doesn't always show. But like in, uh, when we went to Umrah, the Majlis, we took an Umrah trip, to that, right before the pandemic. I was having a difficult time in Umrah. And uh, I went, to, I was speaking to one of my teachers, and it was just in a regular course of conversation, something he said to me was really interesting. He was talking about his sheikh, or one of his previous sheikhs who passed away, Allah rahman. And he said, you know, he was an amazing person. Whatever he was going through, you wouldn't see it on his face. And not in like, a, now you're thinking the hadith said the other thing. It's not exactly the same. But he was saying that like, he might be feeling different things, but he'll still treat you the way that you're supposed to be treated. He'll still give you your rights. He'll still give everyone their rights. He'll still take care of everything the way that it needs to be taken care of and so on and so forth. Even though there are all kinds of things the person is feeling inside. And some, of the, some people are like that also. I think usually we think about this in like a negative way, but sometimes there are people like, who are like this on the positive side too. Like they're experiencing really beautiful things with Allah, really amazing things with Allah, and they don't show it to anyone else. It's just, there's, their face stays the same, and their heart is experiencing it, and they just like go ahead and do that thing. Right? May Allah give us sadq, inshallah. قال أبو القاسم كتابنا هذا يعني القرآن سير الكتب وأجمعها وشريعتنا أوضح الشرائع وأدقها وطريقتنا يعني يتصوف مشيرة بالكتاب والسنة فمن لم يقرأ القرآن ويحفظ السنة ويفهم معانيها معانيهما لا يصح الاقتداء به this is a powerful statement of Imam Al-Junaid this is like this one and I'll tell you another one that's very similar uh, that I like from him as well. I don't know if we covered it in here. I think they're like Khulasatun Qawl when it comes to Tasawwuf, right? So they're they're like what you need to know when it comes to uh, Sufism or I don't like Sufism as a word, but Tasawwuf. Because Sufism in the West has become like a really messed up word. Not only because of the inter-Muslim polemics, but also because of the, the academy. Like the Western Academy took on this Sufism and they love it and they bring these like weird things and they publish them and it's like very strange, you know? So, but this statement of his is what it boils down to. Statement is what? He says, this book of ours, meaning the Qur'an, it is, it's the Sayyid of the books. It's the master of the books. It is, it is the book, right? And it says, and he says, and it's the most comprehensive of them, has everything. And the Sharia of ours is the most clear of the Sharia and the most precise. Sharia, like of any message that came before, the message, the guidance of the Prophet is the most clear and it's the most precise. It's everything. He says, so in this way of ours, meaning tasawwuf, this way of ours, tasawwuf, he says, it is limited by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So whoever does not read the Qur'an and memorize the Sunnah and understand what they mean, they are not legitimate to follow. Period. That's, that's the answer of it. You know, people say, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about people who say this, and people say that. In the end of the day, it's the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and the knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. If someone is claiming something as a, as a matter of, uh, like a spiritual practice that will bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it doesn't contradict the Qur'an and the Sunnah, alhamdulillah, biha wa ni'mah. And if it contradicts the Qur'an and Sunnah, then of course we don't have anything to do with it. That's, that's all it comes down to in the end. Um, another one that he said, he says that they don't, they're not someone that you should follow. So he's, I mean, like again, when you look at some of this stuff, you say like, well, this person is, a <laughs> you see really fascinating things now actually, because we live in Southern California too, right? So I, I think there's even like Sufi meditation dojos and stuff, you know, where like you pay a monthly fee and you come and like, you, like a yoga class, you know? It's really fascinating stuff. Allahu alam, I don't know anything about these people, but I'm just saying like, it was Qur'an and Sunnah, right? There's, this is not something like we just made up today. Someone didn't just be like, oh, you know what? Let's... Uh, I, I should stop myself. But uh, the point is it should be limited by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And what that means is anyone who's serious about their spiritual development, they have to have knowledge of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And they have to have knowledge of fiqh. And they have to have knowledge of aqidah. And that knowledge of aqidah and that knowledge of fiqh and that knowledge of the Qur'an and that knowledge of the Sunnah in the way of the Prophet that's what will guide them and that's what will protect them. Like, yeah. 
And anyone who tries to claim that you can do, do or believe anything or that goes against those things, then you know, this person now, I can't take from this person. That's it. So that's what helps you in the end, you know. Another statement that he said, he said, uh, and, and by the way, you know, like, one of the beautiful things about this is that someone might go to a particular spiritual teacher, but the understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the knowledge of fiqh and aqidah, is not with a particular teacher. Uh, this is a body of knowledge that's been preserved across the ummah, generation upon generation. You don't take it from one person. Nobody takes aqidah from one but This is usually one of the signs of a, of a misguided group, by the way. The misguided groups are the ones who only take their only take their knowledge of the religion from one one place? You could take spiritual advice from one teacher. Maybe you're getting mentorship from them. It's fine, but they're not the entirety of the knowledge of the religion. And if they make it seem that way, it's a problem. I know it. In the end, you follow. We don't follow like the aqidah. Some people say like, "Well, they're diobandi." I don't. What is diobandi? And aqidah, we have, I understand. There's a school called diobandi. Has I understand it? I have respect for it. Everything else. What I'm saying is. When it comes to Aqidah, we don't follow the Diobandi Aqidah. There's no Diobandi Aqidah. There's Ash'ari Aqidah, and there's Maturidi Aqidah, and there's uh, Athari Aqidah. So they're in, this, they're in the uh, Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood, they follow Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood is not a madhab in fiqh. Like, it doesn't give me an answer in fiqh questions. Fiqh questions are the Hanafi school, and the Maliki school, Shafi'i school. <laughs> like, alhamdulillah, we have knowledge, and it's there, generation upon generation upon generation. So one, there's a level of protection in that knowledge uh, that we should hold on to. His other statement that he said, Imam al-Junaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is he said, عِلْمُنَا هَذَا مُقَيَّدٌ بِالْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ فَمَنْ لَمْ يَسْمَعَ الْحَدِيثِ وَيُجَانَسُ الْفُقَهَاءِ وَيَأْخُذْ أَدَبَهُ مِنَ الْمُتَأَدِّبِينَ أَفْسَدَ مِنَ التَّبَعَةِ he said that this knowledge of ours, it's limited by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So whoever doesn't listen to hadith, like they sit in the gatherings, they listen to the hadith of the Prophet wasallam, and sit with the people of the fuqaha, the people of knowledge, you know, the people of understanding what is halal, what is haram, how do you understand all of the details of all of these things. And if they didn't listen to the hadith, they didn't take their fiqh from the people of knowledge, and they didn't uh, take their adab from the people of adab, then anyone who follows them will be misguided. Anyone who follows them will be misguided, right? So his idea is, this is a knowledge. It's generation upon generation we take this knowledge. Actually, um, you know, part of it's, and it's interesting, whenever there's a, whenever there's a, um, a cut in the Senate, whenever there's a break in the chain of transmission, you have problems. It's not just about Islamic studies. Well, SubhanAllah, someone, some young, uh, a couple visited me yesterday and we were talking about uh, like young people and da'wah and community work and stuff like that. They were saying that they had some experiences recently where they realized that like the young people that they're dealing with now They don't have a lot of the understandings that a generation before them had And we we're trying to figure out like why why is that the case? What happened, you know? And a part of what they were they were saying was that they think a, a good part of this actually had to do with COVID Because you had people who were like 11, 12 years old And then all of a sudden they hit like 15 and they didn't have like that shared community experience where they learn little things like how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you think about this? How do you think about that? And that break then made so there's there's a break now. You have to we have to repair the the chain of connection, so to speak, right? So, uh, anyways, we get this knowledge from from its people, generation upon generation, and and there's a protection in the knowledge. He said, uh, radiyallahu he said, this is also very important. Again, it shows you that the knowledge is what comes up. He said, if you see someone, literally, he says, if you saw someone flying in the air, right? it's, a pretty, it's a pretty crazy miracle, right? Like if you saw someone, I imagine, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's the Sheikh so-and-so, and you saw the Sheikh flying in the air, you'd be like, whoa, you know, what is going on here? He says, if you saw someone flying in the air, 
don't think anything about it until you see what they do with the commands and the prohibitions. He says, so if you see them, uh, if you see this person following all the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and staying away from all of the prohibitions, then follow this person and benefit from them. And if you see them not, you know, being lazy about these things and, and being negligent as regards to the commands of Allah and the prohibitions of Allah, then stay away from this person. Okay? This is something that's important. Like sometimes you get into these circles of spirituality and stuff and people start telling all these stories you know, so-and-so said that this happened and that happened and this miracle happened and that miracle happened and they start telling all these stories, right? And in the end, you have to, we have to remember, don't pay attention to any of that. Pay attention to, is the person following the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Are they following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu That's what matters. In, in the pre-modern Muslims, they understood this very clearly. It's, it's all over the old books. That like, just because someone did something miraculous doesn't mean anything. They could be shaitan. You doesn't don't fall into this trap, and you can see this. It still happens, like maybe in the American Muslim community, it's not as big of a thing, but definitely, like when you start to spread into other countries and stuff, you see this all the time. You know, so and so brought me information on this. They already knew about. I met them, and they already knew this thing about me, and so on. So it doesn't mean anything. You know, it could be getting it from jinn. Doesn't mean that they got it from Allah. Just because they knew something about you when you met them doesn't mean anything. You look at very clearly. Does a person follow? The commands and the and stay away from the prohibitions. If not, then don't worry about it. Just stay away. We have like two or three more. Inshallah, we'll finish. This one's long, but it's good. So let me read it first. قال أبن قاسم الفرق بين هواجس النفس ووساوس الشيطان أن النفس إذا طالبتك بشيء ألحت فلا تزال تعاودك ولا ولو بعد حين حتى تصل إلى مرادها ويحصل مقصودها. اللهم إلا أن يدوم صدق المجاهدة ثم إنها تعاودك وتعاودك. تمام. وأما الشيطان إذا دعاك إلى زلة فخالف فخالفته بترك ذلك فإنه يوسوس بزلة أخرى لأن جميع المخالفات له سواء وإنما يريد أن يكون داعيا دائما إلى زلة ما ولا غرض له في تحقيق واحد دون واحد. So he says that what is the difference between the desires of the base self and the whisperings of shaitan? How do you know the difference? Okay. You have an inspiration inside to do something that you know you shouldn't do. Right? How do I know? Did this come from my nafs or did it come from shaitan? How do you know? So he says, here's how you know. If it's your nafs, it will call you to do that thing and it will keep pushing you to do that thing and it will keep pushing you to do that thing and it won't stop. You'll keep, you know, you'll keep having that issue over and over and over again. Whatever it is. He says, except if you are, uh, you know, really consistent in your mujahada and you're struggling for the sake of Allah, until you get to the point where you basically overcome it, right? But the nafs will keep calling you to that thing, right? He says, where is shaitan? If shaitan whispers, shaitan will encourage you towards a particular mistake. And if it doesn't work, he'll call you to a different one. And if it doesn't work, he'll call you to a different one. If it doesn't work, he'll call you to a different one. Because shaitan, his goal is to just keep calling you to bad. He doesn't care which thing you do. <laughs> which bad thing you do is not, it's irrelevant to him. It was just like, oh, you overcame that one? Okay, let me try a different angle. You overcame that one? Let me try a different angle. I'll just keep trying different angles. So this is how you tell the difference. So if something, we feel an inclination towards something and I stop. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Five hours later, I have the same inclination. That's nefs. But if I stop it, then an hour later I have a different thing, this shaitan. And it doesn't come back, like it's not something that keeps happening. And it's not... Uh, one of the reasons why this is really important is because a lot of times in our community we put the blame in the wrong place. So, you know, one of the very common things that we do in our community is there's mental health issues, we put the blame on shaitan, right? 
like gin and all these other kind of things, you know. And no, that's actually not what's happening. What's happening is the person has some mental health issues. They need to, they need some addressment of those issues, you know. It's like you can read Ruqya on them all day and all night. It's not going to change the issue. The issue has to be dealt with. Um, on the other hand, sometimes like maybe the, um, maybe, maybe it's from our nafs. But we're like, oh, shaitan keeps messing, me with, messing with me on this thing. Like, no, if shaitan keeps messing you with on this, on this thing every single day, it's probably not shaitan. It's probably you. You need to actually, and and you need to take the necessary steps to overcome whatever that thing is. It might be some sort of addiction. It might be some sort of mental pattern that I have. It might be any number of things, uh, and so on. So knowing, so being able to identify this is important. And also, when we start to do this internally, we start to understand ourselves better. So I start to know, like, oh, okay, I see this now. I get myself now. I understand what's happening here. I see what happened there. It's not this, it's that, and so on and so forth, which is very important also. Uh, Imam al-Junaid was asked, what is haya? What is al-haya? What is al-haya? You know, maybe this is a good chance to... Um, al-haya is very important. You know, you can alternatively translate it in any number of ways, but it's to have some shyness, some modesty. He's going to give his definition of how he's going to look at it. But I think that it's important for us to um, to remind ourselves that, especially in the culture that we live in, because the culture that we live in is kind of like an anti-Hayat culture. It's the opposite of it. It's like, instead of keeping things to ourselves, instead of having some shyness, some modesty, everything is out all the time. You know, And uh, it's important to remind ourselves that Al-Hayat umin al-Iman, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, and um, he also said وسلم, that every religion has its distinct characteristic and the distinct characteristic of Islam is al-hayat to have this awareness that I'm in front of Allah you know like I, I, I want to be aware of that primarily it's not just like about how women dress in front of like obviously there's different issues on this topic but like the main issue is I'm aware that I'm in front of Allah and that Allah sees me and that Allah is aware of everything that's happening with me and I want to draw that into my own heart and be conscious of that so al-haya is very very uh, important the Prophet وسلم, in the hadith it says that the Prophet وسلم, uh, you know forgive me it's the, it's the actual text of the hadith that the Prophet وسلم, was more shy than the than the virgin woman in her chambers. Meaning like a woman who's never been around a man before, never been with a man before, and so on and so forth. How would they be on like their wedding night? How shy would they feel? The Prophet وسلم, is he's more shy than this This is a it's a very interesting description, but nonetheless it's uh you know, this is a very important quality. There was something that I was going to say about it, but it's, uh, I lost it. Yeah, so al-hayat, when we do it, that's what I was going to say. It should have a consequence on our adab, on our character and stuff like that, you know. Uh, someone sent a, a refutation video. I don't like refutation videos, but... Uh, generally speaking, but someone sent me this refutation, or I saw this refutation video that they had shared, and it was the way that it's supposed to be, which is basically like they were taking an idea that someone said, and they were just responding to it, very calm, very polite, they just responded, you know? And in the comments, like every comment is, mashallah, look at his adab, mashallah, look at his adab, mashallah, look at his adab, like, like, look how lost we are as a people, subhanAllah, like, that's the way that he's supposed to respond. I mean, alhamdulillah, that he has adab like that, but that's how it's supposed to look. I, why is it so surprising that it actually looked like that? Because there's no hayat. Like people are literally, they get, on, they get on the screen and they position it and they fix the lights and they make the little promo, promo uh, what is the thing called with the, the thumbnail? They make the promo thumbnail and all of these other things and they get in front of a camera and they yell about some issue that's Allah's religion, you know? about an issue of belief in Allah's religion, an issue of hadith, and all of these other things. There's no hayat. SubhanAllah. Like, the, uh, like, what are you doing? Is this like a, it's a circus or something? Or like, is this, is this Allah's religion? Or is it like a toy? 
that you use for marketing things, you know. Allahu alam, I'm not judging people. Inshallah, they're sincere and they're just making mistakes or something. But like, if you if you think about the issue, like it's very strange. I was, mashallah, look at his adab. I was like, what is he? <laughs> what is you find? <laughs> how, how, like how twisted is our perspective, you know? Like I was talking to kids in one of my classes and they were like, they're like, uh, we, we like you. I was like, why, why do you like me? They're like, because you don't yell at us. I'm like, wow, like that's really, that's the standard. You know what I mean? Like, mashallah, the Islamic studies teacher doesn't yell at them. That's the standard. That's the, I mean, uh, people used to come up to me after khutbahs all the time. They're like, I really loved your khutbah. I'm like, oh, really? Like, tell me about it. They're like, it, it made sense. Like, <laughs> 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 you know? I appreciate the compliment, but like that's the standard. Like, the person got up and said something that made some sense. Like the, the A went to B and B went to C and C went to D, and then there was a conclusion that told you that A, B, C, and D are letters of the alphabet. Like that's what. Subhanallah. I mean, this is. Last one. It's a, it's a, it's an appropriate one that he closed uh, this collection with. The compiler <coughs> says that Qala Muhammad ibn Ibrahim ra'aytum Junaid fi al-nawm faqultu ma fa'ala Allah bik. Muhammad ibn Ibrahim he said I saw Junaid in a dream after he's passed away. Right, so Junaid now has passed away. Muhammad ibn Rahim says, I saw Junaid in a dream. And I asked him, what has Allah done with you? فَقَالْ طَاحَتْ تِنْكَ الْإِشَارَاتِ وَغَابَتْ تِنْكَ الْعِبَارَاتِ وَفَنِيَتْ تِنْكَ الْعُلُومِ وَنَفَدَتْ وَنَفِدَتْ I don't remember right now. تِنْكَ الْرُسُومِ وَمَا نَفَعَنَا وَمَا نَفَعَنَا إِلَّا رُكَيْعَاتْ كُنَّا نَرْكَعُهَا فِي الْأَسْحَارِ He said, basically, all of the like nice things that we said about spirituality and all of the beautiful things that we said and all of the knowledge that we shared and all of the and all of the skeleton, like the structures of things, you know, the rasum are like the structures of things. All of the structures of all of those things, they, they all went away. He said, all of those things are gone, and the only thing that benefited benefited us were some small rak'ahs we used to pray in the early hour, in the early hours of the morning the last part of the night so that's all that remained all of these beautiful things that we read all of all of this beautiful knowledge all of the things that he said all of the he said all of it's gone you know he said what did allah do with you he said all of it's gone all of the things we said all of those everything's gone so the only thing that's left is ruka'at ruka'at is like there's a rak'ah and there's a small rak'ah Rukayat, like small rakaat, we used to pray for ashar in the last part of the night. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Allah have mercy on him. Allah accept from him. Allah forgive us and accept from us. And that brings us to the conclusion of this collection of the Mawa'id of Al Imam Junaid. As I said, at some point I stopped covering all of them because some of them didn't work well for the gathering, so. You know, but that covers what we're going to cover. So, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma ghafir lana dhunubana wa israfana fi amina wa tabit aqdamana. Allahumma barik fina wa bainana, alaf bainu qulubina wa sufufina. Allahumma wahid bainana, ya Allah, ya ar-Rahman ar-Rahimin. Allahumma tahir qulubina min al-nifaq, wa tahir qulubina min al-riyak. Wa tahir qulubina min al-amrad kulliha allati tamna'una minka. وتمنعنا من بعضنا بعض اللهم كن معنا ووفقنا لما تحبه وترضاه وجعلنا من عبيدك السعداء ومتنا على كلمة الهدى اللهم كن معنا يا رب لا تكون علينا اجعل ما قرأناه ودرسناه وتكلمناه عنه وتكلمنا عنه اجعله كله يا أرحم الراحمين حجة لنا لا علينا اجعله حجة لنا لا علينا اجعله حجة لنا لا علينا we ask you, Ya Allah, and we turn to you, Ya Allah, and we pray on, and we send blessings and, and prayers on the Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
We ask you Allah to give us knowledge that is beneficial to us and to benefit us from that which you have given us. We ask you Allah to make us people of uh, true hal with Allah. We ask you Allah to make us people of true love with, with, with Allah and love for the people and service for the people. We ask you Allah to make us from those who uh, have those few raka'at or ruka'at in the middle of the night that are beneficial for us when we meet you, Ya Allah. We ask you Allah to make us from the lovers of Al-Habib al-Mustafa wa Ali, from the Prophet wasallam and his family. We ask you Allah to be with us in everything that we do. We ask you Allah to make what we have read and we have studied and we have spoken about. We ask you Allah to make it a proof for us and not against us. Allah make it a proof for us and not against us. Allah make it a proof for us and not against us. Allah we ask you to make us of those who uh, follow the way of the Prophet sallallahu in everything that we do and bring the way of the Prophet sallallahu into the lives, uh, into our own lives and into the lives of others. We ask you Allah to fill our hearts with forgiveness for our brothers and sisters and to fill our hearts with mercy and forbearance and patience with our brothers and sisters. We ask you Allah to bring great good from all of the people in this gathering. We ask you Allah to fulfill the needs of all of the people in this gathering and their families and their loved ones. May take care of all of our needs, those that are apparent and those that are hidden. We ask you Allah to protect our children. We ask you Allah to protect our children. We ask you Allah to protect our children. And everyone's children are our children and all of the children of the community are our children. Allah, we're, we're one people. We ask you Allah to protect them and to guide them and to be with them and to give them good in this life and the next. We ask you, Allah, to allow us to taste the sweetness of Iman. Allah, we ask you to taste the sweetness of Iman. We ask you, Allah, to help us to, to take us and to help us and, and show us what it means to know you and what it means to know the Prophet Allah, we have so many needs and we have so many worries and we have so many concerns and we have so many obstacles and we have so many things that are in front of us, Allah. But in reality, there's nothing in front of us, Allah. There's only you. We ask you, Allah, to connect us to that which will connect us to you and to take away from us anything that will prevent us from you. We ask you, Allah, to purify our hearts and to purify our deeds and to guide us in this life and the next. Allahumma ameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah.